when I said it, I knew I needed to be bolder. It's almost like just putting your finger in the devil's nose. You know what I mean? It's like shaking your fist in his nose. And it's saying this, when you love what God loves and you value what he values, and we were talking about his bride, the church, I promise you this, you watch somebody who loves what God loves and values what he values, and you will see the blessing and the favor of God following them. They won't have to seek the blessing of God. They won't have to seek the goodness of God. They won't have to seek prosperity. They won't have to seek the favor of the Lord. It will follow them. So if you're concerned about souls, and if you're concerned about people who are lost, and you're concerned about the body of Christ, other people may look at you and say, that guy's an idiot. He's spending his time at the church. He's spending his time helping these people. He's spending his time and his money doing this. I'm making you a promise. I'm making you a promise. If you will make that your priority, it will come to the point. You will stand back. You will stand out. You'll stand out from everybody else. There will be people in the body of Christ who choose not to make God and his church and lost souls their priority. They will be jealous over the favor of God. They will sit back and criticize you. They'll have a reason to pick things apart about you, but they will not be able to refute the blessing and the favor that God brings. Here's your choice. When you determine in your heart, you make up your mind, God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to put your kingdom first. I'm going to, because doesn't the Bible say, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and what? All these other things will be added unto you. So when you put him first, you know, sometimes people worry, I worry about my marriage. I worry about my kids. I worry about this. I worry about that. If I'm doing too much for God, then I won't have enough for me. I'm going to promise you something. When you put God first, when you put him first, I promise you, he will take care of you. And he brings prosperity and he brings blessings, the goodness of the Lord that maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. There's no bad aftertaste when you seek first his kingdom, okay? So I apologize to you because last week I was supposed to tell you, you watch, you watch our lives when we put God first. Watch and see. For a little while, there's periods of time where we look like fools, okay? There's times where we look crazy for doing that. People are like, are you doing that? Or you don't have time for anything? No, when you put God first, I promise you, you will see a distinction between those who seek him first and those who don't. And others will sit back and be critical, and that's cool, but they could have it too, okay? They could have it too. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25, and it says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have, what's the word? Confidence. Everybody say confidence. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed. For he who promised is, 
He's faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, I pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and you administer through your word. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, on Thursday morning, I had the privilege of witnessing Liz and Andy as they finalized Harmony's adoption. Part of that proceeding said that if they adopted her, she would be entitled to all the rights and the privileges of their natural-born children. They also assumed the duties and the responsibilities. Pretty much all of the initiative in this process was upon Liz and upon Andy. Harmony just sat there and smiled. She didn't initiate the process. She didn't initiate the proceedings. She didn't sign a single paper. She didn't do any of it. She didn't even ask him to do it. And you know, that's the same thing with the kingdom of God. You realize that the one who initiated, we were adopted into the family of God. An incredible price was willingly paid so that you and I could become children of the most high God. So that we could be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the light. There was another who took the initiative. There was someone else who took the initiative in calling you, in adopting you. You didn't choose him. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. God is the one who took the initiative to bring you into his family. God is the one. You and I really did very little in this whole process. We think that we found God. God found us. We think that we had a big part in our salvation. All we simply did was was open our eyes and say yes. That's all we did. But it's he who called us. It's he who drawed us. He's the one who paid the price for your sins and mine. He's the one who gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we too have all the rights and privileges of being an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And the Father makes a commitment to us. He says, I will never leave you, and I will never, ever forsake you. But like harmony, we grow and mature. And there will come a time in which we get to choose how we respond to this gracious gift. Do you hear that? Like her, we get to grow and mature, and we get to make the choice of how we respond to this gift. Notice that the writer of Hebrews addresses brothers and sisters. Friends, you and I are a part of the family of God. And there is a unity that comes about because we are in Christ. It's a big, beautiful, diverse family made up of the called out ones from every kindred, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. We may look different and we may sound different, but we are one because of him. It doesn't matter where you go in this world. We have family there. I want to say that again. It doesn't matter where we go. We have family there. We have a connection there. We have relatives there. Why? Because Jesus Christ has made us one. One of the beautiful things that, I don't know why this always touches my heart, 
But whenever we think about what heaven's going to be like, and it talks about there'll be people from every kindred and every tongue and every tribe and every nation. Something about that stirs inside of my heart because I realize that God is doing something very big and beautiful. It's an incredible work that he is doing. And it's crazy how he can bring people from such diverse backgrounds. And he brings the rich and he brings the poor and he brings the educated and the uneducated. And he brings from this language and from that language and from this ethnicity and that ethnicity. And he unites them as one. At the foot of the cross, we are all standing on equal ground. There's no one who's better than somebody else. There's no one who's more favored than somebody else. God's favor rests upon us because of his son, Jesus. The first thing I want to point out to you, the Bible says that we have confidence or we have boldness. We have boldness based upon the blood of Jesus. Okay? It says that we have boldness. We have confidence. He says, One of the characteristics of the family of God is that we are confident. And can I say this to you? When you are walking in the spirit and you're doing what God says, there's a boldness and a confidence that comes upon you. There's an anointing that comes upon your life. Doesn't matter what other people think, what other people say, what other people do. When you are walking in the spirit, there is this confidence and this assurance that God told me to do. I don't really care what other people say. People say you're dumb. People say you can't do it. People say that's not going to work. It don't matter. When you have heard from God and you're walking in the spirit, there's something about it that gives you this incredible confidence. Daniel 11.32 says, The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Now, the verse that we read said, since we have confidence, we have confidence to do what? To enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us to the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, because a guilty conscience keeps us away from God, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Here's what the scripture is talking about. He's writing to Jewish people. It's in the book of Hebrews, okay? He's writing to Jewish people. The instant that Jesus died upon the cross, the scripture says that the earth shook, the rocks broke open, and the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. It wasn't torn from the bottom up. From the very top down, it was ripped. Now, some people would say it was up to six inches thick. It was ripped from top to bottom, and it exposed the Holy of Holies. Now, you know that a, a little bit of history there, the, the priest would go in on the Day of Atonement. When the priest went in to go in to offer sacrifice, they would tie a rope to his leg. They had things on the bottom of his robe that jingled, that made noise. So as long as they heard him moving about, they knew things were okay. But if he went in there and he was unprepared to go into the presence of the Lord, God would strike him down, okay? And they would have to pull him out with the rope attached to his foot. 
It was a serious thing. It was a very holy, amazing thing. The average guy never got to go in. The average guy never got to see it. But when Jesus died upon the cross, the scripture says that that veil was rent. And so it meant that from then on, you and I now have access to the very presence of Almighty God. Before then, people were kept out of God's presence. There was a limit of how far they could go. But now, Jesus, his blood provides our access. What is our confidence in? Why do we have this boldness? It is because of the blood of Jesus. Can I say to you that when you, anytime you begin to lack confidence, I can tell that you've taken your eyes off of or you've lost sight of the blood of Jesus. I want to say that again. Anytime that you start to lack confidence or boldness, I can assure you that you've taken your eyes off of the blood of Jesus. Now, there's many people who would say, when it comes to drawing near to God or coming into God's presence, is they would say, I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy to come into God's presence. And I'd say to you, the blood of Jesus. Wait a minute. But I've messed up this week. I had a good week going until Thursday, and, and, and it just went downhill from Thursday, and I did, and I said, the blood of Jesus. When the blood of Jesus has been applied, his blood can cleanse us from every sin and every stain. It's what we approach God, we approach based upon the blood that Jesus shed upon Calvary. Has it been applied to your life? If it's been applied to your life, you can go and stand before God without any fear, without any anxiety, without any pressures, without any stress. Why? Because the blood has been applied to my life. See, that's what it is. It was the blood that opened up a new and living way before they had to go through the priest and all of these things. But they said, it's it's through his body. I thought of it maybe a little bit of a play on words. His body was broken. And what does he call the church, though? He calls the church the body of Christ. And so this idea that there's this idea here in the scripture of us drawing near to God and coming in closer to him because we have confidence, there's another reason, because we have boldness. What's our boldness based upon? It's based upon the blood of Jesus. Jesus made and opened up a new and living way. And then he goes on to say, we have a great high priest, verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, what's one of the names for the church? We told you that the house of God, okay, the house of God, the family of God. We have a great high priest who is over, who oversees, who cares for, who protects, who loves the house of God. Who is that great high priest? The Bible says that it's Jesus. It says that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. That when Jesus died and he ascended to heaven, that he's now seated at the right hand of the Father and that he ever lives to make intercession for us. And so when the enemy comes in to make an accusation against you and he reminds you about your past and he reminds you about your weaknesses and he reminds you about those things that you feel are inadequacy, Jesus stands up and says, all he has to simply say is, my blood, Father. His blood's enough to cover my sin." His blood's enough to cover my weaknesses. Blood's enough to cover my inadequacies. When we put our faith and our trust in the finished work of Calvary, who is it that's over the house? Jesus, that great high priest. 
And this gives us confidence to draw near to God. We can hold on to the hope we profess because we know that he is faithful. Even when we are unfaithful, he cannot be unfaithful. He is faithful. And so this causes us, there's a lot of times people want a reason to kind of stay away from God. There's a reason, you know, and maybe they don't do it on purpose, but they feel unworthy to come near to God. Or they feel worthy to come near to God certain weeks, but other weeks, you ever notice that if you've had a tough week or, or maybe there's some things going on in your life, you really don't want to be around church. You don't want to be reminded. You don't want to face up to some things sometimes. Sometimes when things get difficult and hard, the enemy loves, especially when the pressure's on us, he loves to separate us from the body of Christ because he knows that's where you need to be. You ever notice when you're struggling with temptation, you don't want to be around Christian people because you know sometimes you know that when pastor looks at you, he kind of knows what's going on. You know what I'm saying? You ever have those? You know, you know that that person that's a friend of yours, you know when they see you, it's almost like there's a fear that they're going to look right into my heart and they're going to know what I've been doing. They're going to know what I'm struggling with. They're going to know there's something about, you know, and so we want to hide from that. And I'm just telling you, that's the devil's lie. That's his trick. Things go bad. Things are difficult. You're facing a lot under a lot of pressures. Well, I'll just stay away from the body. No, that's not the time to stay away from the body. Whenever you've been hurt, a difficulty has come your way. I'll just stay away from church. I'll just stay away from people. And the devil, wants you, what he wants you to do is, all of us have seen, I don't know how to talk to you about the National Geographic, do I? National Geographic, what do they do with the, uh, the wildebeest who kind of lays off to the side? You know what I mean? The animal that goes off by itself. Lions love loners. And the Bible says that Satan goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so in those times in which you feel the pressures on you, or you feel discouraged, or you feel frustrated, or you feel unworthy, that's the time we need to be closer to the church. That's the time we need to draw closer to the body of Christ. That's not the time I need to run away and hide. That's the time I need to draw closer. And what we find is in that time, I draw strength from my brothers and sisters. We find in that time that someone can speak a word into my life. See, here's the thing. If you'll come to church on a consistent basis, if you'll hear the word of God, what happens is the word of God becomes a plumb line in your life. And you're sitting in that Sunday school class and the teacher starts talking about something and you, you realize, wow, there's some things in my life that are out of alignment. And what does the word do? The word aligns me up to it. It's hard to get away from God. I'm going to be honest with you. It's hard to get away from God and to run from him whenever you're consistently, when you're consistently placing yourself in fellowship with the body. It's very difficult. I'm not saying you can't do it. If, if some of you who may be trying right now, I don't know. I hope not. The third thing is, is this, that we have a responsibility. So we have boldness and we have a great high priest. Those two kind of give us the reason and kind of move us into this next point. And there's a lot of lettuces. I would encourage you to, to look through the scripture. It says, let us, let us, let us. I could do a three-point sermon on the Hebrew salad, you know, it's let us, let us, let us. That's not what we're focusing on today. We have a responsibility to one another. I'm sure you've heard it said before that with rights come responsibilities. Yes, with rights come responsibilities. As part of the family of God, we have been given an immense privilege to come boldly into the throne of God. We've been blessed with all of the rights and privileges 
of being a joint heir with Christ. But with that comes a responsibility. That's a word that some people don't like to hear. And when someone says that they don't like the word responsibility, I realize that they don't want to grow up. They may think that they're mature. But when you say, I don't want to be responsible, what it really points out is our selfishness. Anytime you hear someone say they don't want to be responsible, but that's not you because you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these verses are for you, the good from these verses. Verse 24 says, and let us consider how we may, what's that word? Spur. What is spur when a cowboy wears, some of you who rode horses, the a spur. It's time to go. It's not really a good thing, I don't think, for a horse if someone's wearing spurs and they're kicking you in the side, right? But there's this idea that we are to spur one another on. In a way, kind of provoke one another. Not in a bad way. You know, there's a good provoking and there's a bad provoking. There's this poking and pushing and prodding one another on to good deeds, to good works, That's what the scripture is talking about here. Let us see how we may spur one another on. Let us see how we will provoke one another onto love and good deeds. So it's the thought of an athlete, world famous athletes. I want you to think of Olympic athletes, Olympic boxers, Olympic wrestlers. Do you think they train? Do you think that Olympic athletes go find a guy who spent 23 hours a day watching TV watching boxing, laying on his couch and drinking beer. Do you think they get him to spar? I don't think they do. I don't think that they go down to the local bar and find, you know, I like 600 pounds and see if he wants to wrestle. I don't think they do that. They push somebody, they find somebody who has a passion for what they're doing. The bicyclist, you know, the Tour de France, what do they do? They get around guys who are passionate about what they're doing and they push one another harder and harder and harder. And the incredible thing is this, is that the reality of it is, is that most of us can go further than what we ever thought we could. Most of us can accomplish a lot more than what we ever thought we could accomplish. Most of us are a whole lot smarter and a lot more talented and a lot more gifted than you've ever given yourself credit for because you're created in the image of God. There's so much more potential that you have. But if nobody spurs you on, if you don't have someone else who has that same passion to push you forward, then a lot of times we don't reach our potential. God has called us, he's called each of us to be a part of his family. And he calls us to prod, to push each other. Can I just be honest with you? It's not going to kill you. It's going to make you better. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to bless you. It's going to prosper you. But what God calls you to is for your good. It's not something to harm you. The word that they use there is forsaking. It says not forsaking. Look at verse 25. It carries with it the idea of abandonment, desertion, rejection, renouncing, giving up, disowning. They were not to forsake the assembling of themselves together. The only other place the word translated assembling is used in the New Testament is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, when it says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. This speaks of the coming of the Lord. And you'll notice this, that if you go and read after this, 
it talks about, after the portion of Scripture reading, it talks about people falling away from the Lord. Okay? So this is an important portion of Scripture. There were some who were giving up on meeting together. Their view of it would not be, I'm going to forsake the assembling of myself together. They would not say, I renounce. I reject. I'm going to abandon. I'm going to disown the assembling of ourselves together. But this was God's view because all scripture is God-breathed. God saw this as them abandoning. And he says, I'm never ever going to leave or forsake you. But he says, this is what some are doing. But you, this is not to be you and me. This is, will not be us. In fact, in the days in which we live, instead of saying, I want less, we need to be saying, Lord, I want more. I desire more. Lord, this needs to be our prayer. Lord, when is that next prayer meeting? Lord, when does that class start? When are the men getting together? The incredible thing is this. As we come close to the coming of the Lord, it says, don't shrink back from meeting together. In fact, do it more and more. Here be the thing. Let's say someone comes to our altar and accepts Jesus as their personal savior. Or maybe they do it in the car. You and them are driving. You talk to them about the Lord and they accept Jesus. Let's say that person, they accept Jesus I see a number of people here who are here who raised their hand not too long ago to commit their life to the Lord. And you're here today, and I commend you for that. Here's the thing. Let's say you make that commitment. You say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to serve him. And I don't see you. And I know people have to work, okay? We're not picking people apart. We're not critical of people. I know people work. I know people have health issues. We know that people get sick. We know that you have family, some of you have family who live somewhere far away and the only time you get to see them is on the weekend. We're not condemning that. We're not accusing that. Here comes this young man and gives his life to Jesus and we all cry for him and we're all excited for him. And then we don't see him for another six weeks and he comes rolling in and we're all happy for him. Yeah, yeah. But then we don't see him for another seven weeks. How do you think he's going to grow? I'm not a betting man. But if I were, I don't know that I would bet the house on his success. Anyone here, we have any students here who play sports? Zach, you play baseball, right? How many times a week when you guys start, how many times a week you practice? He has to be there three times at five. How many of you like getting up at 5.30? I know some of you do, but a lot of us, 5.30 in the morning. We're like, 5.30, that's for the, it's crazy. Even the birds aren't up at 5.30 yet. The birds aren't up at 5.30 this time of the year. They're resting. 5.30 in the morning. Now, let's say you're part of the team. Now, once you guys get into your, the beginning of your season there before, how often do you have to practice then? Uh, we practice about three to five. Oh, God. 5.30. Don't they know mom has dinner? <laughs> three to 5.30? It's two and a half hours a day. Three to 5.30 in the afternoon. How many days a week? Five. Five. Five days a week. Let me ask you something. If you came to practice once every three weeks, how long would you be on the team? Oh, you wouldn't be. What if you're a really good ball player and you didn't ever show up for practice? You can't be that good. Yeah. 
So, now do they pay you to play? You gotta pay them. <laughs> Your mom and dad pay a lot in property taxes too, I'm sure. We're paying a lot of taxes so that you can play, right? Your mom and dad. Yeah, activity fee. They're not paying you to play. And yet, they're not paying you, but they'll kick you off the team if you don't show up for practice. Huh. How comes this? How comes you're paying to play baseball on a team? They won't let you play if you don't show up. We think that's okay, and we understand that. But we tell God, who's done so much for us, that I'll give you what I feel like giving you. What does that sound like? That sounds like the height of arrogance, doesn't it? I mean, when you really think about it, when we say to God, I'll give you what I want to. I'll do for you what I want. If I don't feel like it, I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. You know, other people say, well, pastor, you know, it's got to come from the heart. Well, maybe your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. I don't know, maybe. (laughs) If you ask God, God, change my heart, Okay. Why is it that we can look at all these other things and say, well, it's okay for the baseball team, but somehow I expect God just to accept whatever I give him and be happy. And like the church should be like, wow, that's really great. You show up every six months, man. I'm really proud of you. You're doing really good. (laughs) Then there's other people who the only time they want to show up is when they have something to do. Well, if I have something to do, I'll show up. Now, I know, everybody just pick up your feet. Just lift them up. I do appreciate whenever you're scheduled to teach or to work in nursery or to serve in this way. I like people who show up more than I like people who don't show up because you kind of leave us in the lurch, okay? I still like you, but you know what I'm saying. You know, there's some people, I remember back home there was a guy who, as a child, I remember kids are smart. You know what I mean? Kids are really smart. And kids pick up on stuff. Nobody has to tell you. Nobody has to tell you. You don't have to hear your parents say anything. Little kids watch and they know. And there's a gentleman back home who my parents were dear friends with. Wonderful man, him and his wife. Wonderful people. Loved the Lord, was a deacon in the church, played his guitar in the church. After church, I remember them always fellowshipping with people and connections and relationships. And you know that he loved the Lord. And what happened over a period of time is he began to, just to back away from stuff, just to back away a little bit here, a little bit there, distancing himself. And eventually it came, this took place over years. Eventually it came to the place where he would show up to teach his Sunday school class, which he taught once a month. He'd show up once a month to teach the adult Sunday school class. And he would leave before the service. Now, I'll be honest with you. What they needed to do is they needed to have relieved him a long time before because he had nothing to give people, nothing. He had nothing at all to give them. But because he had a platform, he would show up and he would do his thing and then he would leave. To be honest with you, it's totally disrespectful to the rest of the body, to the leadership. He'd show up and he'd do his thing. He should have stopped doing that. They should have removed him from that position years before because he was not qualified. His life didn't qualify. And, and then what happened? His kids grew up without their parents. At one point, his parent, the parents had a passion for God. 
His kids grew up without. You drive by on a Sunday, he's out there mowing the lawn. They didn't have early services around where I lived. Church became something that was a distant thing from him. And what happens is God has called us to prod one another on, and we need to encourage one another. But I need to be faithful to the Lord and to his house and to the rest of the body, whether I have a position, whether I have a title, whether I have a responsibility that day or not. Because there's something about being apart. You know, an ember. You pull an ember apart by itself, and it slowly goes out. But you push that thing back in the midst with the rest of the crowd, the other embers, and it burst right into flames. And that's what you and I need to do is we need to draw near to each other and, and allow the body to accomplish the purpose for which God ordained it to be. Somebody needs you to be passionate about the Lord. You have a gift that you bring. You have something that you bring that the rest of the body is encouraged by. You and I are not meant and designed to be apart by ourselves. We're meant to be a part of something greater. And he's passionate about us. And he doesn't want you to stay away. The enemy would want you, whenever difficult times come, he'd want you to pull back. Whenever pressures come upon you, when you feel like you're unworthy, when you're reminded of your past, when you're overwhelmed by the things that are going on in your life, he'd want you to pull away because there's strength when we're together. There's power when we gather together in his name. He walks among us. It's what he does. The spirit of God literally moves throughout. When we praise, one can put a thousand to flight. The Bible says two can put 10,000 to flight. And so when we praise him and lift up our voices to him, his presence is magnified in a place. And if it's two or three gathered together under a tree somewhere in Africa, gathering under a, a hut somewhere, his presence is there. But what he wants us to be is he wants us to be committed to him first. And we can't be committed to him without being committed to his body, to one another. And so I want to pray over you. And this is what I'm going to ask God to do. I'm going to ask God to put in your heart a love for his church like he has for it. Can I tell you, if do you realize how much he loves it and how important it is to him, it's going to start being more important to you. What you're going to notice is this. You're going to notice when someone's head's hung down. When you walk in the room, you're going to notice when their head's hung down. God's going to wake you up at night. He's going to wake you up. He's going to put someone's on your heart and you'll just begin to weep. You won't know why you are. You won't know why you're weeping. You won't know why. You'll wake up in the middle of the night praying a heart-heavy burden for somebody. One of your brothers or sisters or their kids or something that they're going through. And you'll just start praying for them. And you'll pray until that burden lifts off of you. God wants you to pause. He wants you to draw near to Him. He wants to flow through you and touch people around you. And the Bible says this, that the world's going to know that were his followers because of what? By our love. They're going to see him changing our hearts. And some of you who maybe in the past you've been critical about the church. Sometimes we have all these critical ideas that go through our head or we feel left out. But when you understand that you can come boldly into his presence, when you understand that you're loved, that you've been adopted, 
you've been purchased, that this is where I belong. You want to be in the presence of God. And you want to be with your brothers and sisters. And you want him to use you and you want him to flow through you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I bless. I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost that you place upon your word. I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost that you place upon your servants. And as we lift up our hands to you, Lord, I pray, God, that you just begin to pour out upon your people a time of refreshing. Lord, I pray that you'd place in their hearts as they lift up their hands to you. I pray, God, that they'd sense you reaching down and touching them and empowering them, Lord. And give them a word, Lord, and due season, Lord. I believe, God, you're going to anoint them to serve you. You're going to anoint them. You're going to put a passion in their heart for fellowship, Lord. That those who are ready to let go are going to press in a little more. And they're going to reach out a little further. And they're going to touch someone else's life just like you touch theirs, oh God. And God, they're going to be, they're going to be filled with such joy and delight as they see God's Spirit is moving through me. And he's transforming other people's lives. And together, not by myself, together we're growing in the grace of the Lord. Together we're advancing the kingdom of God. And the crazy thing is the byproduct of it is joy and peace and satisfaction and glory, Lord. So I pray, Father, that you'd put your spirit heavy upon them. Give them a love, Lord. Let it never dissipate, Lord. God, I pray that they would have a passion for the house of God, for the people of God, that they would be devoted to one another, Lord. And as they do that, Lord, I'm praying that you'd pour out the love of God, that you would draw many, many, many people to you. In Jesus' name.